Welcome to the Bag Drop, Untold Stories in Golf. I'm your host and co-founder of New Club Golf Society, Matt Considine. Today, we welcome a very special guest, Jay Card III, rising star on the Corn Ferry Tour, but not your prototypical professional golfer pedigree. On this episode, Jay and I discuss everything from the musical theater in his small hometown of Shelter Island, New York, to hanging out with the likes of Rory McIlroy and Shane Lowry, plus life as a professional golfer on the Corn Ferry Tour. Speaking of the Corn Ferry Tour, today's podcast with Jay would not be possible without our friends from the NV5 Invitational. The path to the PGA Tour runs through Glenview, Illinois this May when the NV5 Invitational presented by Old National Bank returns to the Glen Club on May 26th to 29th. Make the most of this Memorial Day weekend by watching the next wave of PGA Tour pros compete in the Chicago area's only annual professional golf event. General admission is complimentary courtesy of partnership with Surf Pro of Glenview. Three years ago was my first time attending this event, and a little-known Texan by the name of Scotty Scheffler won that year. You may remember him from winning this year's Masters. Will Zalatoris won the year after that. Year after that, Cameron Young won. This tournament is simply where you go if you want to see the up-and-comers up close. I recommend checking out their upgraded experience options. We hang out at The Hangar, presented by Corona Premier, a premium venue with food and drink included. Proceeds from the MV5 Invitational will help the Evan Scholars Foundation send youth caddies to college. Visit nv5invitational.com to secure your chance to find out who's next. Without further ado, on to the show. Jay Card the third, welcome to the bag drop. Thanks, glad to be here. It's good to good to be back at the bag drop. Or like a bag drop, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I uh I've never had a, someone a third of anything on the show. So Jay Card, that, that name ran in the family. Is that your grandpa and your, your father, I imagine? Yeah, I guess uh it was a good name. They just kept on passing it down. So hopefully uh you know, we'll see if I have one. Hopefully not in the too near future. But uh, you know, just kind of doing what I'm doing and you know, we'll see if there's a fourth time the line. There's a great line in uh Bridesmaids. Have you ever seen that the comedy? With, uh, uh, I Kristen have, Wade. but it's been a while. <laughs> they, where she corrects someone to be called the third, kind of the other bridesmaid uh, maid of honor, corrects someone to be called the third. Do you insist on being the third? Um, no, not really. I think it's just kind of, I, I think it like looks different a little bit on the leaderboard. Um, but like I actually grew up being called Jake. So my dad is Jay. I'm also Jay. So it gets like really confusing in the house. So like when we're both home, like, can you say Jay? Like we both respond. So I grew up as Jake in the house and then I got to elementary school and there was a Jake in school. So I was Jay in school and Jake at home. And I'll pretty much just respond to like about anything at this point. Well, you're, you're certainly making a name for yourself in the, in the golf world. And uh, we're excited to have you on the show. Um, I did my, my research and, you know, you grew up caddying at national which I know is on the bucket list of so many of the people that are going to be listening to this. How do you describe national golf links to uh, those of us that, that have not been? Um, I don't know if my words can do it justice. That uh, has like such a special place in my heart for like, uh, I mean, just right. I caddied there like right out of college and was there for like four or five years. And I have like so many good friends and fond memories from there. I mean, the golf course itself is amazing. 
but it's just kind of like being out there on the golf course with like the people around you that also make it like even more special, especially like when we get to play there as caddies. So we would play like four or five days a week. And like, you know, we're out there at like golden hour in the summer. So like, you know, we're catching the last couple holes at like sunset. I was like, this is the most amazing time to be out here. Like, it's just such a special piece of property. I mean, like the templates and like the design is like impeccable and amazing. And like, um, you know, some people think it's a little goofy. I think it's kind of like, I mean, I love it. And I mean, it's amazing. I've heard people are like, oh, you know, some of these holes are ridiculous, but um, no, my words can't do it justice. It's, it's amazing. It's so good. I just finished reading Scotland's gift written by CB McDonald and he dedicates like three or four chapters to just national. You could tell he poured every ounce of himself into that place and wanted mm -hmm. it, wanted it to stand uh, against or, or with all those great golf courses from the UK, uh, which is like the template holes and everything that he brought to, to mm -hmm. the U S what, what's your favorite template of those holes out there? Um, Oh gosh. Um, I mean, Redan. I mean, I love a good Redan. Um, <laughs> Who doesn't? Who doesn't love a good Redan? Right? I mean, like, you know, it's like there to help you out, but it's also like, you know, if you like kind of don't play it right, you know, it's really not going to help you out. Um, but it's just so different than like, you know, a lot of the golf in the U.S. that you play. It's kind of like, okay, like point shoot. It's like, you know, well, here's the flag kind of like on the left side of the green. And, you know, you're aiming right up the right edge of the green to get it to the left side of the green. And uh, I think it's just like one of the really cool features in golf. You also worked at two other decent golf courses or three, actually, um, Jupiter Hills. I mm -hmm. saw in your bio, uh, yep. Seminole golf club and bears bears club down in Florida. Yeah. Um, I've played, I've only played one of those three, but I'm curious in that area, that Jupe life area, if you had to split 10 rounds between those three, wh wh where are you going? Um, Jupiter Hills number one in my heart down in Florida. I think it's so cool. It's like, it's like best page black in South Florida. Like, I mean, Hills, obviously there's like elevation in there. Like Seminole has some elevation change and stuff, but, um, you know, working two years at Jupiter Hills is just one of the most amazing experiences I had down there playing that golf course, like whenever we could. And you know, it's like 7,400 yards, par 70 from all the way back and flowing like 20, whatever it is down in Florida all the time. Like that's a calm day. And, um, and the greens are always amazing too. They're like 13 and a half, 14 on the stimp every single morning. And you're like, how do the members play here every day? Um, so like Jupiter Hills is probably like, you know, five times like Seminole three and bears club two. Um, wow. you know, like Seminole was a really cool place to end up to. That's I wasn't expecting that answer. I, I was, uh, my only USGA championship. I qualified. I needed a partner to qualify. That tells you about my, my game under the gun, but I, I played in the four ball at Jupiter Hills. And I remember, you know, all these places like in the Northeast and out West, uh, a bit more, more venerable, older golf courses that, that have a bigger name perhaps on, on the kind of national stage. And I hear about Jupiter Hills. And I was like, Oh man, like, I, like I got to go play Florida golf, uh, for my only USGA championship. I'm thinking it's flat. It's swampy. I was blown away. Those Hills, man, like you, the elevation yeah. change is crazy. I didn't know Florida golf existed like that. Right. And then especially like that was maybe the only golf course that you could have played had like six inches of rain in the week and like still got the tournament done. I, uh, like was around caddy for, um, Trevor Randolph and Darren Goldstein in the four ball there. I would like park cars. And then I like ran out to like go caddy for them. Cause there's like not really a caddy program. There is kind of now, but, um, I was just sitting there. I was like, I have never seen the golf course play this soft, but it was still like super playable for like 
how much rain there was. Uh, it was unbelievable. Yeah, it was a wild week. So you were working that week. Oh yeah, there's no weeks off. <laughs> yeah, I, I I thought I played. I was very quiet about it, but I thought I played about as good as I could with my 76. And uh, you know, everyone obviously didn't make the match play. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean those are those are great places. When you were at Bears uh, Bears Club, I think you got to kind of get some up close. Obviously, there's a lot of PGA's bass that are members of of a few of those clubs, and and Bears Club in particular. Can you tell me a little bit about working there and and who you might have run into? Yeah, um, so I worked at Bears Club for the last two years, um, and it was probably one of the like coolest experiences I had, like working at a golf course, especially as far as like I mean, I'm parking cars, picking the range, you know, washing golf carts, washing golf clubs, and like assigning caddies like every once in a while. Um, but you know, like probably one of my like favorite stories, which like kind of tells you a lot about like the PGA tour guys are out there. You know, I'm sitting down, all the guys have their own range balls, like their own golf ball that they play. So I'm sitting there sorting golf balls and Shane Lowry comes up and I'm just like sitting over here, like doing my thing. He's like, Hey man, you know, I'm Shane. It's nice to meet you. He's like, where are you from? He's just like sitting there like chit chatting for like five minutes. And you know, this guy's just going like out of his way to kind of like, you know, just shoot the breeze and, you know, just kind of talk to me, treat me like a normal person. Um, and like, you know, there are so many guys there and like so many like really good quality guys too, who like, you know, you kind of start to realize that they're just normal people who are like really good at what they do. And, um, you know, you catch them on TV, but when you get them like off the cameras, you know, we're still like joking around or, um, you know, just kind of like hanging out being guys. Um, yeah. So like Shane Lowry's awesome. I remember the first time I met Roy McElroy, I was like, he was probably the nicest person like you could probably ever meet. And I was like, I don't know how anyone like is not like a fan of this guy. Like he's just extraordinary. And also like how wide his like upper body is. Like he's just massive for like a short guy. Um, and then I got kind of friendly uh, with Matthew Fitzpatrick. I'll like text him every once in a while, like for advice and stuff out here, which is pretty cool. Um, I'm Ron Lahiri. We work out together at the same place and like, I'd kind of like reach out for like, you know, kind of ask him, um, you know, a couple questions like here and there. Tom Lewis is super nice. Um, and then probably the first person I played with when I was there was Lucas Glover. Uh, I played with like him and uh, a bunch of other guys. He had some people down from uh, like Frederica to play and they needed like an extra like host. So I was like the staff member host guy. Um, I don't think I've ever been like as nervous as that. Um, like it was the first time I ever played with like a PGA tour pro. And I was like, you know, Lucas Glover won the U S open at Beth page. Like I've like looked up to him for a long time. And I was like, this is so cool. <laughs> I mean, these guys have, have a lot to uh, on their plate, obviously, with playing golf at the highest level and competing. But for a younger guy like yourself that's coming up, I mean, do they they can't give all the time to everybody because they got their routines and all. But do mm -hmm. is it more giving them? We might think as competitors, like are they are they more willing to lend a hand than than most people might realize? Um, yeah, I think it's a little different, um, and I think you really kind of have to like approach it the right way. You know, because I'm like sitting there and like I'm taking it in. I think about it. it's like you know these guys are showing up here to like practice and work and like I'll like catch them a little bit here or there on the side. I'm not just going to go up to them either like hitting balls or, like interrupt them. Like, um, yeah, I think it's like a little different. Like you know, I kind of like started to build the relationship a little bit slower too. Um, you know, I'm not just going to like jump right in and ask for help. But you know, just kind of like ask like what's going on every day. You know, what do you do when you're not golfing? And um, you know, try to like treat them a little bit more like regular people than like just. I feel like everyone asks like them golf stuff all the time. So it's like, just wanted to try to get them a little bit more, know them a little bit better outside of that. Um, and it's just like, you know, just like a couple like small things here or there. And, um, but 
know if that answered the question. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. I loved uh, Shane Lowry. One of my favorite moments. For, he's having a heck of a year, obviously, in 2022. And mm-hmm. uh, he, I loved in the match play when Brooks Kepka just buried him in a match and he makes this last putt. I don't know if you saw that clip where he makes the last putt. And, you know, gentlemanly behavior, as, as you do on the PGA Tour or any tour, is you go to shake hands right at the end of the match, end of the round. <laughs> Shane just just pushes him in the way, out of the way. He's like, you didn't have to beat me. You were already cleared out of group play. You're on to the next <laughs> round. Like, screw you, man. It was just so funny but he obviously shook hands after that right i could i could see him being a riot well i want to talk about your background because you know as as a professional golfer um that we've had many on the show but i think your background is very unique as you know and just the things that um you know you're accomplished in a couple different areas but i want to start with you know growing up on shelter island which uh for those that don't know off long island kind of a small small town i mean how many how many people are in town or how many people uh, there's like 25 to 2,700 year round residents. And then I think they say it gets up to like 10 to 15,000 on any given day in the summer. So it's like a giant summer town, but other than that, like, uh, it's really kind of desolate in the winter. So like public school in the Island is where I went. There's 250 kids K through 12, I think like 80 in the high school and like 16 in my graduating class. Wow. So yeah, not, not big. <laughs> yeah, but, not. No. <laughs> I, I read you spent your summers, you worked for your father's landscaping business, which uh, I actually worked for my uncle's landscaping business for a little while. I was curious, mm-hmm. what, what's your favorite job while, while doing some landscaping? Uh, it's got to be something where I'm on a machine and not standing in the hot sun raking a dirt field. <laughs> you know, my dad would always tell me, he's like, you know, he's like, this is why you're, you're out here working with me so that you like want to go practice and say like, I don't want to do this the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was his way to motivate me. So anything <laughs> using like a skid steer or a tractor, you know, we did a lot of like big moving dirt jobs. So anything where I could like sit down for a little bit. That always went to the older guys, anything that was sitting or riding or, or machinery. I've always felt like the older guys, the guy ended up with a rake in my hand too. Uh, yeah. but it's, it feels, it's good. It fills character. Do you, what was it? Um, you also grew up at Gardner's Bay country club and, mm-hmm. uh, I believe you're the course record there holder there. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. I got it, uh, maybe like two years ago. Uh, it was pretty cool. Was that, it, 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 I mean, growing up at a place that you played all the time, like you obviously knew what the course record was. What is it, is it on your mind? Did, did it appeal to you? Did you always want to have that? Yeah. So it really kind of meant a lot to me, especially like coming up from like a small Island and like the guy who had it had a phenomenal career. Um, so for like such a small town, it's like really produced a lot of really good golfers too. Um, at least like on a local level, like, um, the guy who had it before me, Rick Southwick went to three USAMs. He beat Phil Mickelson at the honors course in the first round of match play. And like that same summer, it's like right before he went to the USAM, he broke the course record. So like, you know, I hear this story all the time. It's like, you know, he shot the course record. He went out, he beat Phil Mickelson in match play. Um, so I was like, you know, that's kind of like, he was always like the big guy to like come out of this small town. Uh, and then we had like another guy, um, Gary Blatters came out, played in three USAMs. Uh, and another guy, Jay Sessa, who's kind of tearing up the Long Island senior, like playing a bunch of U.S. senior amps, senior uh, British amps. Um, and we all kind of like learned from the same guys. So it's like really kind of like everything there was like on your mind, what the older guys have done. So you always kind of like look up to that and, um, from such a small town, it's like really kind of hard to not look at that and want it. Were you, were you close a bunch before you actually got it? Um, yeah, I've had a bunch of like 63s out there. Um, and it's a little bit tricky out there too. It's not always in the best shape. Um, so we live on an island and we're not allowed to irrigate the fairways. 
So the fairways, uh, they can get a little bit long or they can, you can be in hard pan, you can be sitting in a hole, you can be, uh, there's not a lot of perfect out there in the fairway. So it's kind of like a little bit of rub of the green and what you can get, but I think it kind of helped me, uh, you know, get used to some unf- or, uh, unfortunate situations out there on the golf course. And so I had a little, little throwback to the, uh, the old sod and the Scottish game, just not watering, let, let nature take its course. That's yeah. cool. I didn't, I didn't realize they had that out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So it gets like, if you like look out a picture, like when I like got the course record, it was like super brown. Like, I mean, it's almost like fescue, like brown, like there's no green or life left in the fairway. Um, so it's awesome because you hit like these ridiculously long drives and it's fun, but you can also like bounce into trouble really quickly or, um, it was kind of a fun way. And like, a you get like two different golf courses, you get like the fall and the spring, which are like super lush and green. So we get a lot of rain out there. And then you get like the barren dry summer, which, uh, you know, it's kind of, kind of fun. Okay. Course records are funny. Cause I, I was talking to some guys that actually ran college, uh, college track about like course records and personal records and track records. And, you know, they, they were talking about like, yeah, like that's my personal best, but it's not my best race because I actually ran in this other track that was a bit slower and worse conditions. And it was a bit into the wind. And, and, uh, I, I like, you know, was two seconds slower or whatever, but that was my best race. I think about that with course records too. Everyone's like, Oh, the course record. And it's like, well, yeah, that's, that's a big deal. It's a, it's a number that we put a lot of, but no one ever knows what the conditions were that time and what right. you might've been playing under, you know? <laughs> right. Or like, even like nowadays, like with how many like renovation projects are going on in a golf course or like, you know, if the golf course is like 500 yards shorter or longer than like it was when the record happened, like, you know, is it the same golf course is different. Like it's kind of, it's a really becomes like a tricky situation and like you know, who actually has or doesn't it's um, there's always like that talk that's going on. Yeah. But you do have it. So there you go. I do have it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We got to get to, uh, you grew up as a singer and mm-hmm. uh, doing musicals. And I think uh, th- there's a bunch of questions I want to have for you on that. Cause I think it's a very interesting uh, dichotomy for a professional golfer, right. To be so talented at, uh, at musical theater and singing that you were, um, most kids that, you know, I grew up with kind of had to pick a lane, right. In high school, we either went athletics or we went the arts and I actually had interest in both. And I think I kind of went more the athletic route, but I'm, I'm curious just as a young guy who, who had interest in, in all of it, how did you, uh, how'd you manage to balance it? Like what'd your parents do to kind of encourage you to go all, all, all routes? Um, so it was also kind of like the shelter Island effect where I grew up where like we needed bodies. Like in a lot of situations, it was kind of like, Hey, like, um, you really like don't have, I mean, you have a choice, but like, you really don't have a choice. Like there were so many people there who did everything. So, you know, like we did like three sports band choir. Um, it was just kind of like you're part of being there, like growing up on the Island. So you had to be in band and choir until ninth grade. So you're in choir from kindergarten. And once you get to like freshman year high school, you can choose if you want to like, you know, pick or quit or something. And you start band in fifth grade and same thing. But, um, it was always just something that like my older sister did too. So like, you know, I was like hanging out with like some of her friends who were singing and like, you know, in band as well. So like, it was just, um, something that like, I always like really kind of enjoyed. Uh, and then we started doing the like Nisma solo, um, contest thing where we go up the Island, we rehearse this solo and sing and perform and go to like all County choirs. And, um, there's something about music that's like, kind of like a team sport as well. Um, we're like, you're a part of these choirs and like, that's my favorite thing about live music is that as soon as everyone stops, like there's nothing in the room, but you're creating this sound, this piece. Um, that's what like, I really loved about it and why I kept doing it in college. 
Yeah, so you, you went on to, to sing, and um, what, uh, what was your favorite kind of genre to do? Because I know you're part of a really talented acapella groups, um, mm-hmm. opera. How do you get, how do you get into opera? Like, I, <laughs> I don't even, you know, I, I <laughs> as yeah, a kid, so, like, um, I, <laughs> um, you know, I've never had like a voice lesson until I got to college. So I got to college and like every year I was bio pre-med didn't like going to class. I was like, I'm going to do music. Like I just wanted to graduate, get my piece of paper and play golf after. Um, and when you like sit here and think about it, like all the good roles in musicals and like on the radio, like good songs, like generally everyone with like higher voice and opera, there's like a lot of really cool roles for guys who like are basses or have low voices. So I was like, Oh, that's pretty cool. And the whole like singing in a foreign language thing is awesome. Cause if you mess up, it's a lot less noticeable than if you mess up in English. You know, like if you're like singing in English and you forget a word or you mess something up here, you know, it's more than just like the notes. So people are like, wait, what did he say? Or, you know, in a foreign language, it's a little bit easier to mess up and get away with it. So that was kind of like a huge draw for me. But um, yeah, one of my professors just kind of like handed me these pieces. I was like, wow, this is really cool. And uh, just kind of, you know, luckily the North Carolina State Opera performed it or practiced at Duke, which is like an hour and 20 minutes away. So drove over there and sang with them a couple of times. And we'd like, you know, do these performances which were amazing uh it was a really cool opportunity there yeah i i read that when you were with them you uh went to carnegie hall is that right and performed yeah that was with the acapella group so we uh, did that with um deke sheer and the guy who produced the pitch perfect movies so he like selected our acapella group and some other acapella groups from across like the country and had like some of the pitch perfect people there at carnegie hall which was like such a cool thing to like see them like live and in person and um, be a part of that performance was awesome. Yeah. The, uh, I got to imagine places like Carnegie hall and what was the Vatican on your list of venues? That was, that yeah. Yeah. That was, um, freshman year. Um, there was a choir tour we did over to Italy. So we flew into Rome and then worked our way up to Venice. Um, so we like sang at the Vatican, sang at the Duomo, um, all these like other little like backdoor churches. That you, I mean, you like couldn't find, I lost my bow tie and I had to like go back to the hotel and like, managed to find my way back. I didn't speak any Italian then. So I was like trying to catch a taxi. Like I have to be there, like barely get back in time for the performance. And, um, yeah, it was like one of my like favorite trips. I think I have like ever done. It was like 19 or 18, like cruising around drinking wine in Italy. And, uh, <laughs> it was awesome. That's very sweet. I mean, I gotta imagine playing at places or performing at places like that really is somewhat synonymous with maybe playing at your Augusta or playing at Shinnecock or because yeah. it's, these are just like those venues. I mean, in, in that form of art, it's like the, the pinnacle of those places. Did you get nerves going in for going in? I got, I definitely got chills. Um, so it's like, as far as like, you know, like when I like, kind of like related to golf, like I remember the first time I played Wingfoot, I was like 13 years old and it was like waking up like that Christmas morning feeling like you're excited to like go downstairs or open up a present and you're just like, have this like full body kind of like chill rush. Like you don't really know what's going on. And you're like, um, it was kind of like the same thing, like being like in the Vatican and like, you know, the way we'd like rehearse and practice these pieces, you know, it's a lot more than just like standing there singing a song. Like we spend like these like months or weeks, you know, really digging into the text and like going around the room. What does this mean to you? And like, you know, what does this mean to this other person in the room? And like, what are we trying to convey in this song? So it's like really kind of like an emotional moving moment when you're there. Um, and like I still remember, like there are ones that like stand out to me, but it's um, you know, it's kind of similar to golf. Like I mean, like the first time I played Shinnecock, first time I played Wingfoot, like 
it's just like this feeling that you kind of get the chills, the like memories that kind of come back. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it almost does compare to the pressure of a KFT tour event today. Is it, is it yeah. in that same boat? <laughs> yeah. I think like a lot of the experiences I've had, like with those, uh, the moments like performing or singing in front of a crowd, like really it's one of the few things I have to draw on in those moments, like um, coming down the stretch in a corn ferry event, like looking at the leaderboard, seeing my name up there. I'm like, all right. Like, I mean, I'm like glad, like, <laughs> I mean, I have a story. I was like playing in Sarasota um, and I like birdie the 14th hole and I'm like in second place and I get to the 15th hole and like, I'm like, have a, have my club uncommitted and like the wind kind of dies with my downswing, kind of like ease off it. And I borderline shank this thing. And luckily there's like, I mean, like three acres, right. So I was like, okay, like this is fine. Like, you know, I could have got like really mad and freaked out, but I was like, you know, there are plenty of times that I've like messed up in a music performance. I was like, you know, at least I get to get this up and down. Like the thing I kind of think about, it's like, you know, I'd go to these recitals and these people would forget the words in front of like 50 people, the piano's still going. And then they're just standing there like a deer in the headlights. Um, so that's the one thing I love about golf is that like, I can get it up and down. Like, you know, it doesn't really matter. I'll make a bogey and we'll keep rolling. But um, yeah, those experiences definitely help me out out here on tour. <laughs> Do you, I, and I know you don't just sing, you, you, you play a number of different instruments, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I played flute and saxophone in high school and then I got to college and there was an oboe part in band. Uh, I was in band in college too. And I was like, well, I mean, it's not that dissimilar from what I'm doing. Like I'll give it a shot. So I picked up oboe in college and played that a little bit. Um, and then I picked up cello senior year cause I had that extra credit to kill. And I was like, you know, cello lessons sound like fun. Like I love the way it sounds. And, um, yeah, that was really hard. <laughs> That's so odd. What what uh, role now? I mean, because obviously you you chose the the golf path, but it, it seems like with that, that that background and those credentials, you could have had a career in music. Um, what mm-hmm. I, I we'll get to that, but like what I, I'm curious now as a professional golfer on the Corn Ferry Tour, like what per, um, element does go, does music fit into your life? You know, do you still practice? Do you still play? Is it just mm-hmm. this like thing to, to kind of distract yourself sometimes and you just are a listener now? Like what, what, how does music fit in now? Um, I think music's a really big part of my life still. Um, you know, whether it's like on the car on the way to the golf course, what I'm listening to on the golf course or like, um, when I'm playing, like I always have some kind of song going in my head. Um, but one of the things I really kind of struggled with after college was the burnout. You know, like same with golf, like, you know, there's a really heavy burnout working in golf, playing golf, you just mentally are shot. Um, And senior year, we have to prepare to do this recital to pass fail college, uh, basically. And if you don't do well in this recital, you stay until you like do well in the recital and then like you'll finally graduate. Um, So I think that was like a really hard thing for me after college or like, you know, my professors are like, oh, like, you know, you can make a career out of this, you can do this. And um, probably the other thing I struggled with is that, um, you know, there's something that's like so personal about your voice. Like I still have like a really hard time listening to myself talk or saying like the corn fairy did a little thing on me. Like I haven't listened to that. And I'm sure like, you know, like you, the way you think you sound is different than like how you sound in recording. And like, it's something I never really got comfortable with and I'm still like not comfortable with it all. Um, it's like, I went to a really interesting music conference this one time and they said, you know, they could pull a band out of orchestra, stand up and like play your part. And like, you know, they'll like generally do a pretty good job with it. But if you pull a kid out of choir and you like have them sing their part, you know, they kind of like crumble right away. Um, you know, there's just something that's like so personal about your voice. And, 
you know, like everyone's a critic and like, it's hard and it's never easy to hear that because there's nothing you can really change about your voice. So like, it's really like hard on a personal level. So that was kind of like one of the things that like really pushed me away from like pursuing music, um, which is like a little bit tougher to hear, but like, it's, you know, it's kind of like the hard part. You can change it. You, you can change a golf swing. You can change a golf swing. <laughs> I mean, look at Tiger. He's gone through who knows how many swings. He's still doing pretty good. So what, what gave you or what gave golf that edge for you over music? I mean, I, I think that that makes so much sense. And I think a lot of us can, could relate to that decision of, mm -hmm. you know, that, that what music didn't have for you or, or that kind of tough part of it, um, maybe going golf, but what, what directed you to golf or what was the edge that golf had that you said, you know what, I'm going to make this my career. Mm-hmm. So I think I've always wanted to play golf professionally. And it was just something that like coming from a small school, like when I was growing up, like I didn't really care what I shot. I just wanted to hit the ball really far and keep up with my dad. Um, and so then like, you know, I was kind of like middle school, high school. That's kind of what I did. Like I wasn't great at all. Um, and then I got to college and like, I started like playing a little bit better and I ended up walking on my sophomore year, uh, for a semester. Um, and like, you know, I got out there and I was like, okay, like I can like really kind of do this. Um, but I, some kid got hurt and like I only had that spot for one semester. And then after that, I didn't have anything. Um, so I would just play golf in my summers and I kept getting like a little better, a little better, a little better. I didn't really play at all during the school year. I was kind of busy with music and fraternity stuff and everything else I had going on on campus. Um, but I finished like sixth in the state and like almost Monday for the travelers one year. And I was like, okay, like we're trending in the right direction. Um, and then I had a really good summer after I graduated in 2016. I like did well in some amateur events and I ended up qualifying for the USAM. And I was like, okay, like, I think I'm really kind of going the right direction. Like, I think I can do this. Um, and then like funny story, I get to the USAM and I sign up for a practice round. And I mean, I don't remember exactly how it works. There's a sheet you'd sign up and it's like, okay, like here's a spot, like there's a threesome or something. I'll just sign up and play there. And the two guys in my group were Colin Morikawa and Davis Riley. And I was like, you know, kind of looking back at it now, it's funny, but I was just like, all right. Like I looked them up later and I was like, you know, these guys are like really good and I'm kind of a nobody. And I was like, you know, they don't do anything that like I can't do. Like I never felt like I couldn't compete. It's just like, all right, I need to like make up some ground and put some pieces together, but I think I can do this. Yeah. Riley had a good week. I think it deserved yeah, it. Yeah. He yeah. Time. He had a really good week there. Um, where was it at that year? 2016. Oakland Hills. Yeah. Oakland Hills. Yeah. Yeah. That was a tragic clubhouse incident like a couple of weeks ago or a month ago. The building is phenomenal. Like reminds me of Jupiter Hill, like just, just up on top of that hill, that big white building. Yeah. That was so terrible. Unfortunate for the court. I mean, it'll, it, they'll, they'll bounce back. It seems like not too many were hurt and that place mm -hmm. with all that history and that golf course. You know, yeah. They'll return. Um, for those uh, that that's so interesting, right? Like that it built, that way i i uh for for you i, I think you know the, the very little college golf i saw on your resume i was curious about that right and mm -hmm. um and then it clicked at kind of after school right that that year yeah it was um like i did a lot of things well like i was always a really good ball striker like i drove it fairly well um but it was like my first time on bermuda and like dormant bermuda and me like still don't click too well but it's really not good in college which i'm sure people who travel outside like the Northeast, you're like, what is going on here? Like, I, I don't even know if we're still playing golf. Um, 
yeah. And then I was there on academic scholarship. So it was like hard for me to transfer out to play golf. So my dad's like, you know what, just like stick it out, get your piece of paper and you can pursue golf after college pretty much as long as you want. Um, so it's just kind of like, Oh, I just, I just think it's one, one of the coolest things about our sport, right. Is that, uh, there, it's never too late to, to get better. And we, I think it's like that constant pursuit of it and mm-hmm. people that, you know, are listening, might not have the ambition of being pro golfers, but they probably got the ambition of winning a club championship or, or, you know, dropping their handicap a few strokes. And I just think it's one of the coolest things that like, not everyone has to come from that, that perfect pedigree. Right. And yeah. that you saw in yourself, the same tools that, you know, Mark, I was playing with out there and you're like, I can, I can do this. That, that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty awesome. Um, I'm curious what those of us that don't understand like that jump as a professional golfer to, to say, I'm going to make it a living, you know, what, what do we not really know about that? The, the challenge of that jump and, um, may, you know, playing golf for, uh, income, a living. Yeah. So I'm still like trying to like figure out exactly like how that works. Um, you know, cause like up to this point, like this is the first time I'm playing full time. Um, now I was working like 40 to 50 hours a week at the bears club. And then like, you know, practicing the other like 30 hours, like I could of the week. So like, I was always kind of like golf was always the side job. And like, now it is like the job. And like one of the biggest things it like sounds crazy that I like, I'm trying to figure out is like how to take a day off or like a couple days off after like being on the road for four weeks. Um, you know, like the way I kind of grew up and always have worked, it's like, if I take a day off, you know, I work five days a week, I have two days off. My two days off are probably a tournament or like a full practice day. If I took a full day off, I was losing ground to people. You know, it was always like, how am I going to like catch up? So like when I like first got through, I was like, just probably pushing way too hard. Um, so even to like sit around for like two or three days, like without touching a golf club is still a little uncomfortable. Um, and I, it's also the, like you know, the kind of the burden of like not knowing when the next check is going to come in or like, you know, it's, you can go on a run. Like I remember looking at Justin Rose's like, I think career, I think he had like 18 missed cuts in a row. I think when he like turned professional on the European tour somewhere out there. And, you know, it's just kind of one of those things where I feel like you're never that far off from like where you think you want to be, but it's just so hard to like stay in a good place out there mentally. You know, like, um, one of the guys who won, in Louisiana, I think we're below who won in Louisiana shot, like just may, barely made the cut on the number and then shot like 63, 63 and one, you know? So like it's the difference between like making the cut out there and like, you know, like just missing, like it's a really fine line. And then like, who knows what's going to happen on the weekend. But um, yeah, that's probably the hard part and learning how to travel and like take care of your body on the road, I think is like the biggest jump into like, you know, really contending at a high level. Does it, um, does it, do you end up losing any of the, the, the joy or passion just for playing? Because, you know, it, because it's that job, is it, is it challenging sometimes? Cause like, I can tell you, you're a lifelong lover of the game, like the rest of us, right. Caddying mm-hmm. at places like national will do that to you. And, uh, but is it, tell us about that. Like, is, is it mm-hmm. tough to get the same joy that you did when you were like a kid? Um, I don't think so for me because it's still also like, so new, you know, like, I'm like finally in the place that like you, you I like kind of dreamed about as a kid, you know? So like, it still feels like, I mean, I think if you ask me in like a couple of years, if I'm still in the corn ferry and like grind it out, like, you know, that answer might change a little bit, but like, uh, I don't know if I could be like happy right now. Like I just love being out here competing. And it's one of those things where like, I want to make sure that like, I can keep my card and do this again next year. You know, it's the two kinds of golf. I love, like, I love like 
playing out here competing in an ultra high level. And then I also love like just going out with my friends, like drinking and playing music. And, you know, I feel like that's like a really good way for me to like disconnect and turn it off. Like I just love being out there in the golf course, like especially with people I want to be there with who are going to have a good time. Um, but like, there's something about like stepping inside the ropes where it's like, okay, it's go time. Like it's, that's like kind of what like gets me going. And like, I'm like, all right, like this is why I'm here. This is what like, I really love about this game. When you're out drinking with with your buddies or just listening to music and, and making swings, do you, do you click it in though? Do you get inside those ropes like for a, a split second or no? Do you just keep the two worlds? Totally I think separate? so. I play some really bad golf <laughs> when you're doing that. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I'm just out there. It's we're, I mean, like sometimes I play really, really well. And sometimes, I mean, I could shoot 76, 77 and like, I'm like, it's okay. Like, you know, I'm not out here killing myself, which is probably, you know, why I like can still love this game. Even when I like play bad, you know, I was like, ah, it's like going to happen. But at the same time, like, you know, I'm out there like trying different shots. I probably wouldn't normally play in the tournament or like, you know, different situations. So I'm like, uh, like, you know, 290, like out of the rough, like let's try to get driver there or something, you know, or like, you never really know what's going to happen or like what we're doing, but you know, we're just out there kind of like laugh at each other and, um, you know, really just kind of like kick back a little bit doing the thing we all love as kids. Like it's, you know, that part is like, that's kind of like the joy. I, like, I think I had as a kid, we're out there playing these ridiculous matches or something. Yeah. Yeah. We, we got an inside new club. We got a whole lot of ridiculous matches that we love. <laughs> Maybe we need ropes though. Maybe that's all we need. We just need a couple ropes yeah. and then everyone starts to, to really die. You know, a gallery is really nice too. Cause it stops your ball from going out of bounds sometimes. So yeah, you guys got it easy, man. It's basically like when you go to that kid's birthday party and there's bumper pool everywhere. That's pro golf. You guys got it yeah. easy. Stand. Yeah. I'm like sitting in the front of the green. There's a grandstand. I was like, oh, if I bladed, I can't get in trouble. You know, I'll just hit the grandstand. I get relief. I was like, all right, look, we're fine. <laughs> yeah. Savage Joe's. We don't get that true. <laughs> Man, yeah, <laughs> um, you so on the competitive front, I mean, uh, I, I was introduced to you by Casey Kermis, who's a, a, a works for us at, in Atlanta, and um, it was the week that you had to make birdie birdie on your last two holes, at, I think, the Astara Golf Championship mm-hmm. to remain inside that top 10 and uh, and have a spot in next week's event. Um, and uh, you did it, so mm-hmm. tell us, tell us about that moment. Yeah. Um, so like the tricky thing, I'm glad I figured it out before the round is that like some corn fairy events or it's like top 25 gets the next summer top 10. So I guess like when the next week is a full field event, it's top 25. If the next week is like a little bit smaller because of daylight savings or whatever the situation is, it's top 10. So like, I kind of knew going into the round, this is where I have to finish. Uh, and the guys I'm playing with, um, Ryan Brem and I, who won in Puerto Rico, were contending and i'm like okay like you know there's leaderboards everywhere i know where i am i just three putt 16 and like i'm like all right like don't freak out i have two holes left but ryan and i are tied i think ryan three putted too so we go to 17 and ryan just absolutely kills like i had it far and ryan has me about like 40 yards i was like this is absurd um so i hit the shot on 17 uh catch a little flyer out of the rough that goes a little too high goes between the tree branch goes up to like eight feet Ryan goes, hits it to 10 feet and Ryan makes his birdie putt. And I'm sitting there and I'm talking to myself and I was like, all right, like if I don't get into this event because like Ryan made birdie and I don't make this eight footer, I'm going to be so freaking pissed at myself. Like, you know, like just step up and like make this putt. Like, you know, you got to want it. Just like, just make it. And like, I made the putt and she gave like a big fist bump. Uh, and then we go to the 18th hole there and it's like this giant dog big, right? You have to stand up there and hit this ballooning slice driver and you're at altitude. So it's hard to move the ball. Um, but I hit this perfect shot, like up over the trees, it's going forever. And we get out there and we don't see it. And we got like so much rain that the ball just went straight into the ground. 
And the only reason we found it in the fairway was because spectators kind of heard it go into the ground in the spot. So they helped us find the golf ball. Um, so we find it, clean it, take a drop. There was a little clean place. So we place it, I think. And I have like 217. It's just like a perfect three quarter, six iron at altitude. Um, and I have to make birdie here. I know. Cause I was like, Ryan is way down there. He's got me by 50 on this D shot. He just smoked it. So he has like wedge or something into this par five. Um, and I was like, you know what? Like, this is one of those opportunities where like, I'm not going to let someone like take this away from me. You know, I was like, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to hit the shot. Like I'm going to take this and do this. And I hit this just perfect shot starts a little left cuts in like 12 feet. And here, like the gallery, like go crazy up by the green was like the most amazing feeling. Um, but like maybe the coolest moment for me after that, we're playing with Sam Saunders too. And like, he comes up to me and gives me this like big high five. And he's like, you got, cause he knew how, like we were talking, like he knew kind of like how important this was for me. He was like, come on, man, let's go. You're going to make this pot. Like, let's go. And like, you know, to kind of like know that that's out there, like happening, like on tour, like that there's good guy, like, you know, like, like here's this guy who's like not having a great day, but he's like still out there rooting for me. And like, you know, it was just like a really, really cool moment for me. So then I get up there and I like just lag my 12 footer down there. I was like, I just need a birdie, <laughs> like don't three putt, just like ease it down there. And, you know, just had my little tap and birdie and got on to the next week. That's pretty cool. And and next week you got another top 10, right? You played great the, yeah. the week following. Yeah, it was, um, it's a nice little stretch and it was cool. It was, um, my dad got double knee replacement surgery in November. Um, and it was probably the first time he came out to watch me play golf since he caddied for me in 2016 at the USM. So it was like a really, really like cool kind of special week for me. That's awesome. And that camaraderie, I imagine, like with, with Saunders coming up and, and giving you some of that, like that's got to be so. I, I I imagine I'm just trying to put myself in your shoes. Like it, it's got to be so critical to just survival out there, right? Is that everybody's competing their asses off, but uh, just to get a little motivation from others is probably big time. Yeah, especially someone like that. I mean, like he's a little bit older, um, and it was just like a really cool thing, like for because it was my second corn fair event and. I was like, you know what? Like, there's a lot of like, I wasn't really sure like what I was kind of getting like into out there. Like, um, it's just nice to know like there are like good guys out there, like rooting for each other, you know, like we're friends, but like we all want to win. We all want to do well, but at the same time, like it's nice to know that there are like, like good guys out there rooting for you. It's not just all like, you know, kind of people rooting against you or rooting or, um, there's one of those moments I think that'll like stay with me forever. I think. And I got to know what's the carry yardage on your driver. Um, I know you're not sure. It's anywhere from like 295 to 320. So, and we're at altitude. So, like we're playing this whole. It's like 370 to the middle of the green, I think, and like 340 to the front, maybe, or like 360 middle, 340 front into the wind. And the practice round, I got there. It's at 12 percent altitude, basically 8600 feet. So, like I was flying at 340 ish, maybe into the wind. I came up a little short. Ryan steps up there and flies it to like the back of the green. I was like, oh my god! Like it was just. And he like didn't hit driver the first couple holes because you don't really have to there. And then like he hits, I was just like that's unbelievable. Yeah, he <laughs> he sends it. That's why I was asking. I mean, I knew you weren't short, and uh, yeah, that, that's staggering. Um, how important is is speed training at this point? Like you're you're at that level of distance, but you know, are are you in part of your training? Are you like pushing it to to get that up? Yeah. So that's one of the things we kind of worked on a little bit after. Um, Sarasota, we had a three week break and I just went to see my coach and I was like, you know what? Like when I'm trying to like swing really hard, I was like, I guess that's the thing I was trying to do. I was trying to swing really hard instead of doing other things that could just make me move a little faster. 
Um, so I was like, you know, when I was like trying really hard to swing, I was like, you know, trying to like get a little left quicker, jump hard, like throw my hands really hard. I was getting like 120, like maybe 121. And my coach, Jeff Leishman, we're sitting there. and It's really important out here, especially as like the season goes on. Like you're probably going to get tired. Your swing's going to get a little shorter. You're going to get a little slower. Um, so it's nice to, you know, have that extra speed where like, you know, it's just going to be there. Um, so he's like, why don't you just take, he said, like, well, just get your hands up higher and take them back a little further. It's like, that's it. It's like, yeah, just do that. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not kidding you. It was a five or six mile an hour jump. Oh, like wow. it was like in front of like max and at like 120, 121, I was like 125, 126. Um, where like, you know, we had to stop hitting cause it was going to the other end of the range. So like it's in there when I need it, but like, it's amazing. Like my cruising speed is up like five to that 120, 121 number right now. Um, up from last year, it was like 114 ish. Wow. Uh, I mean, it's, it's huge when you're looking at a bunker, it's like 305 and you're like, yeah, that's fine. Like, I'll just give it a little extra especially if it's like a wide open golf course, you can just send it. And that's what, I mean, that's the stats point too, right? Is that that speed is worth going for to a, to a point. And mm -hmm. uh, it's just fascinating. I think a lot of people that uh, watch it, you know, we just adds to the athleticism of the sport. Right. And it's changed so much from even the time that I started, you know, my buddies that were my became pro golfers, like they're, they're, they're left in the dust now with people coming out and how far yeah. people are hitting it. Yeah. Like some of the kids coming up now, like I'll see on my, my coach's Instagram, there's these kids like coming out of high school with like 190 ball speed. And I was like, Oh my God, like that is still like dusting me. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, I'm like 180, like six, 187. These kids are just like cruising at 190 or something. I was like, it, you know, I mean, you, I kind of have like the little fairway finder shot. And then like the one where like, I'm not really sure where it's going to go, but it's going to like go 320 in the air ish. But, um, it's just like a really nice tool to have if you need it. Um, cause you can always like tone it down or hit three wood or something else. I, I feel like the way we did it and like kind of growing up, like trying to keep up with my dad, like I've always gone at it pretty hard. Um, so I feel like I still have like relatively good control. Like I'm not spraying it by any means. So I feel like it's a really, um, useful tool for me. What about, uh, what about the short game right now? Like what's your favorite things to work on to improve in, in the short game? Um, <laughs> My least favorite thing to work on is putting speed because it is the worst part of my game. <laughs> um, and it's also kind of like the hardest it's thing. Like, like, like hitting that high note. It's like hitting that high note. Yeah, exactly. It's like right where your voice cracks and you're just like, <laughs> like, all right, here we go again. It's just like that. Like, uh, it's just not a fun or sexy thing to work on. You know, it's really fun to hit there and like just groove driver and like just send it. But, um, yeah, I'm really like kind of struggling or like, not, it's one of the things we'll work on. Like, you know, that's kind of like the one thing that like really has to get better. And we've kind of learned is like, you know, that like just touch on the green so that I don't three putt as often as I do. Um, and it's other than that, like I love hitting flop shots, like shots out of the bunker, like trying to spin it as much as I can, or, you know, the short game is pretty good. Uh, just got to get a little, a little better on the greens. I love it. Well, outside of, uh, uh, pace and, and, uh, ball speeds, I I'm always curious how you guys set like targets and goals. I mean, you know, you're currently ranked 43rd on the KFT and I, and I imagine, you know, on your list of to do's is get that PGA tour card, right? The big one. And, um, are there intermediary goals that you set for yourself? Do you, have you like sat, do you sit down and talk about that with your team and your coach? Is that like conscious or is it more about the process? Like what, what put us in, in kind of the mindset of a, of a pro golf on the KFT tour, how you guys do that? Yeah. It's much more of a process for me personally. Um, I feel like I keep track of my stats and stuff. So I know pretty much what all my numbers are as far as like strokes gained approach putting, 
it's one thing that I like to do during the round to help kind of like clear my head a little bit. It's just like, okay, if I write it all down, like, I feel like I'm sticking to my pro it's just something that I've like, I've kind of ingrained where it's like, this is how far I am. This is what I hit. This is how far I hit it to on the green. And then here's what I did on the green. Um, but as far as like, um, season long goals, I mean, obviously I want to get my PGA tour card. I want to make sure that like I'm out here for next year. But other than that, it's a lot of just kind of like prep work during the week. I feel like if I do my job and prepare the right way, the rest of the stuff is going to take care of itself. There's not really a lot that I can control, but I can control, you know, how I get ready, what I do off the golf course, and just kind of know that if I do the right things that, you know, some good golf is going to come out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I, I think with us in life, it's not much different, right? Is you, you, if you focus too much on the targets, then the doesn't really happen. It's more about what you're doing on a daily basis. I always, I was always just curious. Cause I know it's, mm -hmm. it's a big thing. It's why you guys are out there, but um, I know the amount of work you must put in to, to end up getting there. Yeah. And it's one of those things too. It's like, it really kind of helps every week feel a little bit more like a normal week. It's like, okay, like I'm here. This is like what I'm going to work on. This is how I'm going to like adjust to the golf course, how I'm going to get ready. And I feel like, you know, if you kind of start to focus a little bit too much on that, like 75 number, the 25 number, you know, maybe you just get like a little bit too tight or like your mind just kind of like wanders a little bit. Uh, it's a little bit easier to like stay in the moment and like kind of focus on what you're doing because like, I feel like if I can like control, like my skills are really good. Like my coach says, and it's just like, you know, are they transferring to the golf course and, you know, if you're kind of getting a little bit ahead of yourself, you know, you're, you're kind of, you know, throwing something in there that kind of, you know, breaks up that transfer a little bit. We got uh, the corn fairy tour rolling through. So I'm in Chicago. Many of our members are as well. Uh, we got the corn fairy tour coming with the NV five invitational put on by the Western golf association. One of the groups that we, we do a lot with up here. Uh, are you, will we see you that week? I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm not exactly sure how this whole scheduling thing works going forward. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I need to like sit down and actually write that out with my coach. Um, I don't think I'm going to be there. I'm still trying to figure out like how many events I can play before I need a week off. So that's kind of the going on, like figuring out like how professional golf works. It's, you know, if I do like, I think four in a row, um, that'll like put us like right at Chicago, I think where it's like this one, Tennessee, Tennessee, flying to Kansas city. Uh, and I know like right after four, I get to that point where like, I was like, Hey, like I really need a break. Um, so I think we're going to pass on that week. Well, you got 300 people that could do a practice round for you. We got all kinds of notes yeah. on the Glenn club if you <laughs> are interested, but, uh, but no, I can imagine that scheduling is just like, what a bear. And it's probably hard yeah. to do for the entirety of the year when you don't know what the exempt status is and all that for different things. It's yeah, that, that must, uh, be fluid. Yeah, and it, it's, it's hard to. I think like sit there and know that you're taking a week off, you know, like, especially if you like miss a cut or two and then it's like, okay, like now we're now like two events closer to the end of the year. And like, I missed two cuts. Like, should I really take this week off? But then, you know, if you don't take that week off, then you're not putting your best self forwards in the coming week. So it's, it's a good problem for me to have, I guess now, like, you know, I started the earth conditional status. So it's, I didn't really know when my first event was going to be, if I was going to get in one at all. Like I know how hard Monday qualifying is, you can go out, play a great round of golf, shoot six, seven under, and like you might miss. Um, so, you know, I'm glad that like, I think I have enough points now to be set for a while with reshuffles and you know, I'll just go out there and hopefully make a couple more cuts, play well, and then I'll really be set. But um, yeah, trying to figure out the scheduling thing's tough, especially the travel. <laughs> well, all the best, man. I can tell that you're having fun with it. It is a, uh, we'll be room for you. And it's just, um, it's cool to, uh, 
to connect with somebody that has all these other interests, just a, a, a good guy from all accounts and uh, playing some damn good golf from yeah. time to time out there. So <laughs> keep it up. I have one last thing for you. It's a segment we do on this podcast for pretty much everyone. Uh, it's called the 19th soul. I've adapted 35 questions from Marcel Proust, the French novelist and one of the most influential authors of the 20th century. His questions were attempting to reveal the truest nature of an individual. Our questions are attempting to reveal the soul of the golfer. So my question for you, Jay, is are you ready for the 19th soul? I'm always ready for the 19th hole. <laughs> Here we go. Number one, when and where were you happiest as a golfer? Um, I have to say USM 2016, dad on the bag, you know, kind of that like, hey, like, pinnacle moment for me. I think that was a really, really special moment. And to be there with my dad was like, you know, above and beyond. Number two, what is the scariest golf shot? Um, downhill bunker shot going, landing on a downslope, going towards water. I just think like Honda classic, like it just bear trap right in there. I was like, you know, you see like a guy putted it out of the bunker this year because he thought it was a safe play and like putted it into the water. So that is like, I think the scariest shot because there's no right shot. Number three, what is your go-to order at the halfway house? Ooh, um, this like chocolate protein shake thing at Bears Club and Medalist. Um, it's just like a banana protein powder, some chocolate, um, that and an Uncrustable. I'm a big Uncrustable guy. Oh, Yeah. I've heard of that about that that protein shake. That that thing does sound delicious. Yeah. I would four. like pick it up during like the twelve hour shifts at work too. So it's like the only thing that like kept me going. So it's like oh, I'll keep me going in the rounds. Number four. What is the trait you most deplore in your golf game? Uh, probably the number of three putts. So putting speed. <laughs> well, we already covered that one. Number five. Yeah. What is the trait you must most deplore in other golfers? Um, brutally slow play. Fair. Fair and popular answer. Number six, yeah. what is the quality you most look for in a playing partner? Um, I think someone is just going to like smile and like give a little bit on the golf course. You know, just like a little bit of like fun, some chit chat back and forth, you know, just a little like games or just some fun, like, you know, a little one liners here. They're always nice. Number seven, what words or phrases do you most overuse on the golf course? Um, something that should probably be censored. <laughs> <laughs> You got to clean that up, man. Where you're headed, there's going to be mics. There's going to be. I was like walking down the ninth hole in Louisiana with my friend. I was like, oh, just so, like, just glad there wasn't cameras on at the point. Or so I was just like, yeah, we're, we're working on it. But um, yeah, just a couple ones that, you know, they're not like super, they're not terrible. But they're not, not the greatest. See the pros, they're just like us. Number yeah. eight, what golfing talent would you most want to have? Um, Probably like Luke Donald's thousand one hundred holes without a three putt, something like that. That would be crazy. pretty stellar. Sad. Just at eighteen greens, never three putt. Like that would be awesome. Yeah. Number nine. What is your most treasured golf possession? Um. Most treasured golf possession. Um. I have a hole in one golf ball uh, that I had with my dad at Die Preserve when I worked there and like two other friends. I think that's like a really kind of like fun, special moment for me. Just like uh, that, like amazing feeling you have, like with the people around you, like that, that one was really cool for me. That was, that was the first. Uh, I think that was my second one. 
uh, but it was like with my dad and I feel like anything like in that kind of like, it's just like a really cool moment. My dad, one of my best friends and another guy um, who's like a really good player. Uh, just kind of like a one hop it in like exciting moment. Just kind of, we lost it and had a good time. There's nothing like that, that feeling when you're with people, whether you make it or not, it's just, it, you're, it, you're bound together for eternity after someone makes an ace. Oh yeah. I had, I had one at Maidstone this summer, right before my member guest, um, lost my voice. I had to sing the national anthem the next morning, but like had the hole in one, we go crazy. The drinks are flying. It was like on the 14th hole, I think back towards the ocean, like super awesome hole to have one, but yeah, that's a really special moment too. That's probably like my second most valuable possession right there. So how many aces are we on now? Uh, four. Four. Got you we're tied, brother. I got you tied. Oof. <laughs> uh, we're making the turn to number 10. What's the one thing in your golf bag you should throw out? Um, probably, I have way too many golf tees in there, especially if they're like <laughs> slightly broken or just golf balls that are like scuffed beyond use, just old golf balls and broken tees. What's your, uh, what's your tea color of choice? Um, I'm like super picky with my teas. Um, I love like the white ones from Jupiter Hills or metal. They have like, or, or national too. They just have like the single red or green stripe on them. Um, but I've recently run out of those. So now I have like tightest ones from the van. Yeah. Number 11. What is your favorite as a guy that's worked a lot of jobs in the golf industry? I'm curious mm -hmm. to hear you this one. What's your favorite job at the golf course? So this goes back to Jupiter Hills Ballet. So you're working a anywhere from 12 to 17 hour shift. And you either spend the time cleaning golf carts, getting golf carts ready, picking the range or valeting cars. So we got some really fun cars that would come through, but it was also like a giant puzzle. Like there's so many rounds of golf there. There's like 300 rounds of golf, ladies bridge, lunch. So you don't have time to write anything down. So it was like a giant puzzle all day. You're like, okay, we're double parking cars. We're taking cars deep. Um, and it was always fun to like get in some like really cool, like, you know, 1960 Mustang or something, or like, um, like a 2006, like stick Lamborghini. Like I got to drive, which is like awesome. We have not had that answer. Ballet. Yeah. Good answer. <laughs> Ballet. Number good 12. Have you ever asked another golfer for their autograph? Um, yes, I did. So recently I was maybe a little overserved after Savannah. Um, and I thought it'd be funny to take like a beer can to the, one of the guys who I knew Brad Brunner, like running through, um, the autograph zone. There's like kids on the other side. There's me. I was like, Oh, like Brad, sign my beer, sign my beer. Um, so he got a good laugh in the moment. Did you sign it? Uh, he did not sign it. He, <laughs> he signed the kid's stuff, which he probably should have. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. <laughs> Number 13. What a historical golf figure do you most relate to? Oh, um, I'll go CB McDonald. Wow. I really, I really to CB. I think I love a lot of things about him <laughs> and his work. So if I could be CB McDonald, I feel like that would be a pretty amazing experience. The granddaddy of American mm -hmm. golf. Number 14. What is your greatest golf regret? Um, my greatest golf regret. Um, the first one that comes to my mind, I hit, maybe the wrong club in Sarasota that led to a bogey. Um, there's like 190 yards hit seven iron. I wasn't thinking downwind. I was like jacked up too. I probably should hit eight iron. That's the, the first thing that like, comes to my mind right now. I was like, um, you know, I was in like, you know, I buried the next hole to go back into second place. So it was just kind of like one of those moments down the stretch, you know, things 
start happening a little bit too fast. And uh, that's definitely a shot. I wish I could have back. I don't, it's biggest regret right now. I can think of. I got, I got hundreds of thousands of bogeys. I could regret too. But yeah. that, that one. <laughs> yeah. uh, number 15. What is your favorite golf book or movie? Uh, big happy Gilmore guy. <laughs> yeah. It's just classic. Watch it all the time. Favorite line from happy Gilmore. Um, <laughs> I think I killed the Mista Mista lady. <laughs> <laughs> it is great. My my wife is my wife is not an Adam Sandler fan, and mm-hmm. I I I I haven't got her to sit down and watch Happy Gilmore yet. But I know it's going to mm-hmm. flip her because she is a golfer. Um, yeah. I know it's going to flip her. But uh, what a yeah, great what a classic. Yeah, between that like that Water Boy. I mean, there are just so many good classics. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Number 16, we're getting to the finish. Um, as a musician, I, I think uh, I would love to hear this answer, but we asked for one song to listen to on the golf course for the rest of your life. What would it be? Um, oh my gosh, that is so hard. I go through music so quickly. I feel like I'm always like looking for that kind of like new song or different feeling. Uh, or just like, feel like songs get old on the radio for me like super quick. So I always like listen to different stuff. Um, Oh my gosh, I don't know. Um, let's go. Uh, energy shipwreck. It's just a little inside joke thing from some buddies. Energy shipwreck. Love it. This will end up on a playlist. I hope you know that. We do, we do podcast playlists. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was like a, from a boys' trip somewhere in Massachusetts. So it's just kind of like the song of the week. So like every time we like throw it on, it's just kind of that like instant banger, kind of like, you know, bring you back to the moment we were all together. Love it. Love it. Number 17. If you were to die and come back as either a golfer or a golf thing, who do you think it would be? Uh, what, what? It would probably be a driver or putter. Cause I tinker way too much, <laughs> especially like getting in the golf. Like I used to like build a lot of my own clubs and stuff and mess around and like, you know, bears club. I was like always in the club repair room, working on something, doing something for that or like a Mitchell machine bending clubs. Like I feel like it was something in golf repair. Nice. Nice. And number 18, our last and final question. If you had a motto, maybe you do, what would it be? Uh, you got to want it. You got to want it. <laughs> yeah. I said you that had one, that one for a, a lot on the golf course too. Um, yeah. I think I've had that one for like the last couple of years. It's a good one. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Jay, thanks for spending time with us, man. Um, all the best with the rest of the schedule for the year. Uh, you know, give Chicago a look. I think, I don't know what the purse is or anything, but it's, it's worth a peek. Um, we'll be out there hanging out actually, but, uh, really enjoyed having you on the show, man. Thanks for that. Thanks. Thanks. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Today's episode of the backdrop was brought to you by our partners, golf blueprint, journeyman distillery, true temper, and this May's NV five invitational. The path to the PGA Tour runs through Glenview when the NV5 Invitational presented by Old National Bank returns to the Glen Club on May 26th through 29th. Watch the game's future stars compete in the Chicago area's only per annual professional golf event. Admission is complimentary and all proceeds will help the Evans Scholars Foundation send deserving youth caddies to college. Limited opportunities to volunteer or purchase upgraded fan experiences remain. Visit nv5invitational.com to secure your place today.